Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 29th. The Clemson Tigers are coming off a 59-7 victory against Boston College and surprisingly didn't drop in the AP poll, so life is good. This is Ben, I'll be your host today, and we've actually got the whole gang here uh, to recap the show. How's everybody doing? Ben, it is good to be back on the airwaves with you. Great to be engaged. I'm super excited. I'm sure you are, Sam. Um, so truth be told, it's actually just me today as the wildfires in Northern California has taken its toll on us here in the Bay Area. Uh, Tully and Sam have been without power for several days as much of the North Bay has been shut off to prevent further outbreaks. And Cody's hood got struck by a 4.5 magnitude earthquake, uh, a couple weeks ago that knocked a couple books off of his shelf. So he's still a little shaken by that, but in all seriousness, the guys are doing fine and not in imminent danger from the fires, but... Our best wishes do go out to those more directly affected throughout the state. Um, and hopefully, as the uh, the fires die down, the smoke clears and the ashes settle, we'll have the guys back with us uh, for future game recaps. But what that does leave us here with is our first ever one-man show in over 200 episodes spanning over a more than four-year period of doing the podcast. And while this won't be our worst ever ep, that will forever and always be the first one, which is still available to listen to on SoundCloud, by the way. Uh, by the end of the show, we'll likely know why that is the case. Um, and for that reason, this will not be an hour-plus show, but because y'all pay us so well, the show must go on. We'll start here with the big news coming out today that the NCAA has cleared the way for athletes to profit from the use of their names and likeness and have formed a committee to figure out what that means, which in my opinion does not bode well for the future of the sport. I would have loved to discuss this particular topic with the guys, and we'll get to that at some point, but I did want to share a few quick thoughts. To me, the issue is not the players profiting. I agree that there should be a system in place to do so. I just don't trust that the NCAA will get it right. This is different than pay-for-play, of course, for which I've still yet to hear a convincing argument, but I think this will prove to be a defining moment for the sport moving forward. And that's because I see the NCAA as a typical dysfunctional bureaucracy. They're a reactionary body that typically lacks foresight, and they have given us no reason whatsoever to believe they can competently govern something like this. You've seen the chaos created by them not thinking the transfer portal through, with the most recent example being the two University of Houston players using this loophole to sit out a season because their team isn't any good. And their track record for punishing rules violators is abhorrent, most recently needing the FBI to come in and take care of business for them. We'll see how it goes, um, and to their credit, they are trying to get out ahead of this before state legislation steps in, but I don't have the confidence that they can administer this properly. But again, we'll just have to wait and see how this all turns out. Now on to the BC game and a few takeaways from Clemson's 59-7 victory over the Eagles on Saturday. First, uh, one of the great things I saw was Richard Yargan back on the field at defensive end for Boston College. If you recall, he transferred in the offseason. 
Uh, but it was really great to see leading into the game, the love from his former teammates. And then, of course, uh, Dabo talking with him and showing him love prior to the game. Um, pulling for that guy, uh, I think it was probably in his best interest to move on, but really glad that he got another chance and awesome to see him back on the field, um, albeit in a Boston College jersey. I also love seeing Ben Batson wearing number 92 at quarterback. Uh, the announcers uh, during the game uh, mentioned as much. It's very odd to see a number 92 out there. Um, he's wearing that number because they've now got him playing some special teams. Um, but I think uh, what this really leads me to think, does this mean that they intend on redshirting Tyson Pumachan? I think the general thought going into the season is that they would not use a redshirt given that we've got DJ Uangalele coming in next year the much-type uh, five-star quarterback, number one quarterback in the country. So it's a good question. Does this mean that they intend to redshirt him? I still don't think that's the case. I think maybe you just don't waste it uh, on one drive at the end of the game when you're not going to cut him loose to throw. So why waste that that fourth game? Let things play out a little bit further before making the decision. So I don't think it's uh, that cut and dry yet. Uh, we'll have to see how the rest of the season plays out. But still, honestly, my take would be that uh, we see him play more than four games this year, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, finally, my current feeling at this point in the season is that Clemson is a much more complete team than both Bama and LSU. Clemson is top five in yards a game on both the offense and defense and top 10 in scoring on both sides of the ball as well. Ohio State is the only other team that can say that and really not even close. That's why I think they're the only comparable team to Clemson right now. Yes, LSU and Bama have dynamic and productive offenses, but both are lacking on the defensive side of the ball. And we've yet to, to see an unbalanced team really win the whole thing in the college football playoff era. My point being, Clemson and Ohio State appear to have both, while LSU and Alabama have yet to show us that. Now, there's still a lot of football left to be played, and we really won't know until these teams play each other on the field. But we do have a pretty good sample size at this point being eight games in. Yes, the Clemson offense struggle against North Carolina, but I think that's an outlier as they've been dominant ever since. So let's start this recap there with the offense. An article that Larry Williams put out on Tiger Illustrated, I believe it was yesterday, he mentioned a seasonal rhythm that has uh, been the trend with this Clemson offense over the past few years. You've seen us get off to slow starts only to increase momentum on the offensive side of the ball as the year has gone along. We typically don't show all our cards early in the season. We don't open the playbook. And we've had some tough tests early on uh, these past several seasons. So it's not like we're playing cupcakes all the way through and just waiting until we're playing stiff competition in the playoffs uh, to open the playbook and have the offense kick it in gear. This has just been uh, the kind of the MO and the roadmap for, for Clemson's offense. And as Clemson fans, having seen this for the past three or four years, we're, we're quite comfortable with it. The national media is not, and that's why they react when um, we have some bad quarters or we have a tough game against the likes of, of North Carolina. Um, so I don't really worry about their perception. Uh, we know what we've seen, and this is just the same script that we've seen over and over again. Uh, but in this game uh, alone, the offense averaged 8.4 yards of play in total 36 first downs. They reached third down just four times in the first half on 41 plays, and uh, this has been a consistent theme over uh, the past few games after the North Carolina game. In this game in particular against Boston College, uh, Clemson went in with a game plan knowing that 
their their speed and athleticism in the open field was going to be a huge advantage. BC is a is a pretty slow team on defense, just kind of plodding along, almost like having eleven Ben Bullwears out on the field at the same time. And that is, of course, nothing against Ben Bullwear. Love him. He was great for this for this Clemson team during his time there, but. I don't think anybody would want him playing all 11 positions on the field. And that's kind of what the Boston College defense reminded me of. In this game in particular, and in reaction to that, you did see a lot more 10 personnel, um, which is where they take the tight end off the field and add another wide out. Um, and what that meant is that, that, that put your tall, athletic wide receivers up against this BC defense that just wasn't able to cover them. And Trevor uh, Lawrence was consistently finding the biggest mass- matchup advantages and hitting them. Uh, so great to see uh, Trevor Lawrence continue to to improve and bounce back after the North Carolina game and that first quarter against Louisville. And really, the attack has been balanced on both sides uh, with both the running game and the passing game since that that game against the Tar Heels. So a lot of positives in, in recent games, and you're really starting to, uh, to see this offense play to the level where we all thought they would. I'll start with the good things that I saw coming out of this game, and I'll begin there with Trevor Lawrence. You know, the Louisville game had those two picks, uh, pretty bad picks in the first quarter, but bounced back in that game to have a heck of a game and was amazing in this game, throwing uh, for 275 yards and three touchdowns. He was 16 of 19 passing and looked like the Trevor Lawrence uh, from the national championship game a, a year ago. I've been mentioning it. Um, over the past few eps that I really wanted to see Trevor roll out more. And you saw that in this game to much success. He had uh, Price, uh, the tight end, on a nice rollout early on. And then DeAndre Overton's second touchdown um, was on a rollout as well. So, you know, he struggled, yes, a little bit early in the season. But early on, teams have really disguised their coverages to to confuse the offense. And it's to be honest, it's worked. But I think Trevor Lawrence is, is learning from this. And he's been allowed more decision-making responsibilities with the play calling than he was last year. So I think this was just a bit of growing pains with that early on in the season. Uh, But he's playing lights out now. And I I mentioned it again last time that opposing defenses and uh, the national media uh, would be fools uh, to think that he's a lesser version of himself right now. And I think you're going to see that play out as the year goes on. Travis Etienne has really kicked it into gear as well. Um, he was breaking tackles all over the place in this game and is running so violently that it's making opposing defenses look um, just absolutely inept. And his pass catching is much improved, and that was on display in this game. So he took three passes for 33 yards, so good to see him to continue to develop in that area as well as his uh, pass blocking. Sticking with the passing game, DeAndre Overton had a big day. That was great to see from him. Only three receptions, but all three went for touchdowns. Um, uh, ultimately totaling 119 yards on the game. Justin Ross uh, has quietly had some big games. He did uh, well again today, leading the team in receptions. And Amari Rogers uh, continues to bounce back from that ACL injury and make plays. You know, Cody, um, earlier on on the, on, on the podcast this year, he, he agreed that his straight line speed was uh, still everything that it was, but he thought he was a little tentative making cuts uh, in the open field. But he had some good cuts in this game, specifically on his uh, one touchdown uh, catch and run. So it continues to amaze all of us that he's been able to bounce back. And finally, Cornell Powell, man, he made some plays in this game. So really good to see him and guys like DeAndre Overton continue to keep their heads 
um, in the game, not get discouraged by lack of playing time. And, you know, Cornell Powell has had some bad breaks this year, some drops, the stumble. Um, and I think it was the Florida State game that could have been a huge play. But kudos to those guys for not um, taking the bait and going into the transfer portal. This is not to say anything bad against uh, guys like Kyler McMichael, Kelly Bryant, and the likes of them. Um, it's more so to, to sing the praises of guys like Overton and Powell. On the offensive line, uh, some of the goods out of this game, it was really great to see them play a, a clean game. And two guys in particular I want to call out. Jark Jackson Carmen has been an absolute beast. And, you know, you don't often – you know, watch the left tackle play during the course of a football game because there are so many dynamic playmakers on the field for Clemson. But um, we have not missed a beat with uh, with him in there, Mitch Hyatt, going on to the NFL. And Matt Bockhorse has really been great all year. You know, he has a real mean streak, and I love seeing him when I go and watch the replays of the game manhandle guys. He gets a little over the top with it at times. There can be some action after the play goes on, so he may need to tone that down a little bit, but man, I love to see that attitude from a, from a Clemson offensive lineman. We'll wrap the positives here with a tight end play, and Luke Price came out of nowhere. Nobody was talking him at least uh, about him, at least we weren't, uh, heading into the season, but he really gets there in there and does the dirty work and has started to actually rack up some catches. Um, the tight end position was clearly a spot of concern coming in with Garrett Williams being gone and with uh, Braden Galloway be, being suspended for most of the year. So it's been uh, huge for Luke Price to be able to step up. And then also Davis Allen, he was in on the third drive in this game, and he has really come on as the year has gone along, which is great because um, what we're hearing is that they're likely to redshirt Jalen Lay. So it's been a huge help to have Davis Allen come along because – that's a guy who has tremendous pass-catching ability, and he's really starting to execute his blocking assignments well. Only a few negatives to point out in this game. I think the obvious one is Cade uh, Stewart um, at center. He's had some snapping issues, and in this game in particular, you saw some high to Trevor Lawrence, and listen, that's a hard guy to throw it over his head. Um, but he had some high ones. He had some off to the side. So, you know, he's in line to be our starting center next year. And, you know, don't even talk about next year. If anything happened to Sean Pollard this year, he would be the, the next guy up. So really need to see him improve on that. A couple more negatives, although really not that critical. Uh, Chase Bryce really needs to learn how to slide or juke a guy out, one of the two. Um, but don't just kind of awkwardly run into guys like he did on um, his one run in the game. He did have a great throw to Dixon in the end zone that he dropped, and I continue to be impressed by his deep balls, although he did overthrow a few guys in this game. And then finally, we throw way too many deep balls to TJ Chase. I really don't get that. Um, you know, he's more of a slot guy, and you know he just doesn't have that tall stature where he can really go up over guys and get the ball. So not really kind of scratching my head on that one. Um, on the kicking side of things, uh, Potter missed a 47-yarder from straight on. I would really like to see him become more consistent there. Not that I necessarily think a game is going to come down to a field goal anytime soon, but still, there's a lot to be desired from the consistency in the kicking game. Um, in summary on the offense, nothing is wrong with this, with this squad, and that has been evident since the North Carolina game, as I mentioned. Sure, Trevor's made some ill-advised passes, but those are correctable mistakes and a result of really him being a little too confident in his arm more than anything else, not because he's a poor decision maker. That playoff run and national championship game last year was not a fluke, and I predict that this offense will ultimately be better than last year's version, if that's even possible. 
But the great thing is they don't have to be because the defense has shown out all year long and far exceeded anyone's expectations. So let's now talk about Brent Middable's unit. So in this game, the Clemson defense held a typically productive Boston College offense to a mere 177 total yards and 10 first downs. And the Eagles were only 2 of 15 on third downs. Uh, they completed only six passes all game, which would make you think that uh, Paul Johnson was over there calling plays. But the fact of the matter is that the secondary continues to dominate and the defensive line has become more and more disruptive as the year has gone on, specifically the defensive tackles. And so my positives coming out of this game starts with the run defense. Listen, A.J. Dillon is a great running back. He's an NFL running back. Congrats to him, by the way, for becoming Boston College all-time leading rusher in this game. And between him and David Bailey, their, their second-string guy, they entered the game as the leading running back duo in the country. Um, and yet this defense held one of the best rushing teams in college football to less than 100 yards. Again, a team that came in averaging 278 yards a game. And I'd like to specifically point out how critical Simmons and Muse are to the run defense. And, you know, we know about Isaiah Simmons. He's all over the field. But you saw that Tanner Muse tackle of, of Dylan there where he just came in uh, with a fury and just stood him up. That was that was a great thing to see. And it, I really think the way that Brent Venables has been using them um, has really helped bolster the run defense and allowed the defensive line to progress throughout the year. Um, overall, as a defense, this was probably their best job of tackling all year. Not a lot of missed tackles. Um, and that was across all levels of the defense. And Boston College couldn't even get anything going against this third string. And again, they're, they're a productive offense. Um, but that really means the backup defensive line played well. And that's good to see as we uh, continue to develop depth across the front. Um, individual plays, uh, one of the highlights, obviously, Logan uh, Rudolph's scoop and score on the ball, lock, knocked loose by Chad Smith. I thought Balen Spector played really well in this game, and it's been great to see him improve as the season has gone along. And it was also good to see Andrew Booth back on the field um, after throwing that punch in the Louisville game. And it may just be his hair, but Landon Zanders is another guy that keeps catching my eye when he's out there in mop-up duty. I'm really excited what I'm seeing out of him. In the punt game, uh, Will Spires had a 58-yard punt. He did benefit from a great bounce, and to be honest, uh, most of his uh, long punts this year have benefited from good bounces, but you know that all goes into technique of how he's kicking the ball, so great to see that continue to improve from last year. And heck, even Sawicki averaged 44 yards a punt, so um, really no, no issues in the punting game, and that is a sight for sore eyes. And really the only bad coming out of this game was that the Eagles converted two fourth downs on its first scoring drive, and in atypical fashion, the Clemson defense couldn't get off the field. But based on what we've seen, I think this is obviously an anomaly. But that's all I've really got for the bad in this game. You know, the job Brent Venables has done this year is nothing short of amazing. He's been able to compensate for the immense talent we lost um, in last year's draft along the defensive front. By coming up with new schemes and formation that utilize the back seven to really bolster that run defense and, and again, allow those young defensive uh, linemen to kind of grow into things. You know, I think only Ohio State's defense is on par, and, and certainly Bama and LSU haven't seen uh, the likes of a unit as dominant as this one. And we're now entering the championship phase of the season, and this team is yet to peak across the board, so I, I really do think we're in for another fun ride. Uh, so that wraps it up for the offensive and defensive recap in this one. Uh, let's take a look around college football. So once again, the herd continues to thin as another undefeated team in Oklahoma went down over the weekend 
uh, falling down to number 10 in the AP after a loss in the Little Apple to Kansas State. And while you can't quite yet rule them out, uh, their path to the playoffs has certainly become harder. Other top teams in action included the Crimson Tide rolling over a hapless Chad Morris-led Arkansas team. And they talk about our week's schedule. Um, though they did so with Altua, so there is something to be said about that. LSU jumped to number one in the AP after a 23-20 win at home versus Auburn. And while Auburn does have a good defense, I'm not sold on them being a great team. Um, though they dropped only two spots to 11 with the loss. Um, we drop one with a win. They drop uh, The SEC teams drop two with a loss. So uh, go figure. Number three, Ohio State throttled number 13, Wisconsin, who's now lost back-to-back games with OSU running all over the Badgers' defense to a tune of 264 yards. Wisconsin is clearly not as good as their formerly 6-0 record seemed to indicate, but given how much uh, the Buckeyes' defense has improved this year, yielding only 7.9 points a game, um, you put that along with the play of Justin Fields on the offensive side of the ball, I'd still say they're the team that presents the biggest threat to Clemson in the playoffs. And listen, I'm still fine with them and LSU being ranked ahead of Clemson in the polls. I get it. I just don't buy the Alabama argument. But there's still a third of the season left to go, so it will all play itself out. Other notable games included the now number 5 Penn State Nittany Lions, 28-7 victory at Michigan State. And while I still think they're a bit overrated, it's going to set up an interesting game for sure in Columbus in a few weeks. But they do first have to take care of business at 13th ranked and undefeated Minnesota this coming weekend, so I'll be keeping my eye on that. Elsewhere, Oregon continues to creep back up the polls, now sitting at number 7 in the AP after a two-point home win over Washington State. And though I don't think they're an elite ball club either, if they win out, they could very well find themselves back in the playoffs. In the ACC, the Coastal continues to be a hot mess after Miami took down Pitt and Louisville beat Virginia over the weekend, which further increases North Carolina's chances of winning the division. I've been saying this, but keep your eye on them. They're a well-coached team with a good young quarterback in Sam Howell who continues to improve, though we did throw two picks this weekend and a three-point win over Duke. And just like last year, it appears that the win of the Coastal is going to come down to a game of rock, paper, scissors. UNC honestly has as good of a chance as any. I don't know about you, but I'd love a rematch. Finally, South Carolina got pounded 41-21 by a bad Tennessee team in Knoxville over the weekend, almost all but ensuring that they won't become bowl eligible as they'll need to win 3-4 of four against Vandy, App State, Texas A&M, and Clemson to get to six wins. Vandy will likely be the only game left that they're favored in. And I think more than anything, they lost a head of steam after blowing a fourth-quarter lead at home against Florida the week prior. Because had they pulled that off along with a win at Georgia, the game against Tennessee may very well have had a different outcome. I just think the Florida loss was the dagger in their season. And it's not like Helensky played a bad in this game. He threw for 319 yards and one score, but the defense just showed its true colors in giving up 485 yards to the Volunteers. Can they win three more? Sure, I can see that happening. They just better do it in the three games before they play Clemson. Before we leave today, I got a special guest to join me to kind of uh, kill some airtime in the absence of the other guys. Uh, we got Dick Ingleberry from the Carolina Cockcast to join us. Dick, how you doing, brother? Well, be honest with you, I've been kind of drunk lately. Um, season has not gone on as we had hoped. Um, it's all Jake Bentley's fault. I think we all know that. Um, maybe a little bit, Coach Boom. Uh, boom! Um, but yeah, otherwise do, doing good. 
Good to hear, Dick. Uh, again, thanks for joining us. Um, so I want to start off here. Uh, you know, South Carolina opened the season with a loss in North Carolina. It wasn't looking good early on. They started to rebound a bit, had the win against Georgia, came close against Florida, but lost that one in the fourth quarter and then obviously got blown out by uh, Tennessee. What's the, uh, the, the temperature of the fan base uh, like down there in Columbia? Well, you know, Ben, I've been drinking in my bathtub all evening, so I haven't been outside lately, but I'd, I'd say probably about 68 degrees. Yeah, that's not what I meant, Dick, uh, as a euphemism for the morale of uh, the fan base there. Euph- what? It's euphemism, Dick. Uh, you know, it's a word to use in place of another word to kind of make things seem less harsh. Well, I didn't know this would be a gosh darn spelling bee, Ben. I thought we came here to talk football. That we did, Dick. That's what I'm trying to ask you. What is the morale of the Carolina fan base there? Well, it's been better, but uh, we'll see. We've had a lot more time to make sweet love in the parking lot. Uh, see, it's how we're leaving games so early. Okay, let's not get into that, Dick. Uh, Cody's mom may be listening. But overall, how's the season gone uh, compared to your expectations coming in? Well, you know, I, th- I think we all really thought we had a good shot at the national championship uh, game this year, Ben. But, uh, you know, we really got dealt a bad and unfair hand with our schedule. It's got to be the toughest schedule in college football. And look, we had to start with North Carolina. You, you know how good they are, seeing as how, how, how well they played against you. Well, Dick, you know it's been more than the North Carolina game. You know, you lost to Mizzou. Um, you got blown out by Tennessee. Uh, you did beat Georgia, I'll give you that. Dick, I heard you were at that game. Were you able to get a piece of the hedges? Sure did. What'd you end up doing with it? You got it uh, framed and mounted somewhere? Oh, no. Junior came home one night. Bottles of marijuana. Smoked it all. He takes after my wife, Ethel. But they're really not the team that we all thought they would be. And, and really, the whole SEC is down or seems to be down outside of uh, Alabama and LSU. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, some of these other SEC teams kind of being overrated? Well, as Paul Feinbaum says, overrated is not a word in our vocabulary. What exactly is in your vocabulary, Dick? Boom! Man of many words, as always. Um, how do you see the rest of the season play out? You're going to have to win uh, three of the last four games to become bowl eligible. Think that's going to happen? Yeah, I reckon we win them all. Even against Clemson? Especially against Clem sucks. And how exactly do you see that playing out? Well, listen, we got the future at quarterback, and his name is Ryan Heller, whatever the capital of Norway is. I believe you mean Finland, Dick, and uh, that's not how you pronounce it. Takes one to know one. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. So moving on, it's uh, it's clear that uh, the, the Gamecocks have been knocked out of contention in the SEC yet again this year. But uh, what do you think their prospects are in moving forward? Do you think they can compete? Need I remind you that we won the SEC East? And when exactly was that? Dan Vike, remember that I, I mentioned I've been drinking in my bathtub? Yeah, a couple times there, Dick. You ain't got Steve Spurrier here with me. Got his eight-five-foot banner plastered on the bathroom walls. So you didn't rip that down after you uh, left you high and dry a few years ago? Oh, no, I, I, I tore it down, but I, I, I done pieced them back together. Like Humpty Dumpty. Well, I admire your loyalty there, Dick. Uh, not just to Spurrier, but uh, to, to South Carolina football in general, given how much heartbreak you guys have gone through over the years and, um, and all that's come along with that. Sweet love in the parking lot. Bam! That's what gets you through it. Okay, well, I think that's where we end it. Hey, Ben, hey, Ben. What's that, Dick? Guess what? What? Chicken butt. Boom! Yeah, I really regret doing this. Um, Okay, Dick, uh, appreciate you coming on. We'll talk to you next time, bud. The pleasure is all yours, Ben. Not really. Cock-a-doodle-doo, toodle-oo. Esther, give me another beer. It's Ethel, you jackass. Whatever, just give me another beer. Grab one for Steve, too. Dick Ingleberry, ladies and gentlemen, from the Carolina Cockcast.
And with that, we'll wrap up this episode. I appreciate everybody listening, and uh, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, given the circumstances, we apologize. You've had to listen to me ramble on for uh, close to 30 minutes, but hopefully we're able to avoid that in the future. Um, again, we hope the fires die down and that the guys are able to be back with us sooner than later. Um, you know how to reach out to us at Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter or clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. If you have the time, please do go over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. And be sure to subscribe to us on whichever podcasting app you prefer so that our shows get pushed to your phone as soon as they come out. Once again, thank you to everybody for listening. We'll be back at you after the Wofford game this coming Saturday. And until next time, and as always, go Tigers. This is Dick Engleberry, host of the Cockcast. You ever been to Five Points? If so, chances are you've been to jail. That's where Five Points Bales Bonds comes in to serve you. With five convenient locations, you can have peace of mind no matter what corner you pass out on. Open weekends only. Welcome back to the Carolina Cockcast. We are excited to be back here for the 2015 football season. I'm your host, Dick Engelberry. I'm joined here by Cletus and Dale. So this is the sixth season. We are 5-0 against Clemson. We got two Outback Bowl wins, an SEC East title, and a Heisman Trophy winner in that time span. SAC! We took last season off to honor Marcus Lattimore and Damian Clowney because they've been injured, but we are back this year. And we're looking forward to a very exciting season. How excited are you over there, Dale? I, I just can't wait. I get so excited around the start of the season. I just I feel like we're going to get in there really deep this year, and it's just going to be a great year. How deep do you think we'll get? <laughs> I, the deeper, the better for me. Atta boy. SAC. Let's head off the show today with something that's been in the news this week. It's been a hot topic. We got Steve Spurrier, our very one and only coach, has gone on a rant, uh, really, 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 really speaking up for the all the heat and the and the and the you know everything that uh, everybody been talking about South Carolina, and they've been degrading our program. A lot of enemies out there, both foreign and domestic, uh, and we have to really be mindful of our enemies. SAC, that a boy. Well, moving on. Speaking of decommitments. We have had nine players decommitted since the end of the 2014 season. Now, the Taters up there in Clemson, they call it decoupment. I beg to differ. We don't need them anyway. They don't, they, they don't belong in our team. I mean, if you want to go play for an used car salesman like Dabo Sweeney, you go, go right ahead. <laughs>
We got six community college commits coming in this year to plug them holes. Man, that sounds mighty good there, Dick. boy. So let's talk about these community college commits and, and, and how Spurrier is revolutionizing recruiting across the landscape of college football. I mean, community college commits. Who would have ever thought? I've never heard of anything like it before, Dick. It is absolutely brilliant. So let's move on now to our position group breakdown of the week, and naturally we will start at the quarterback position. Now, we know there's some questions coming into the season, and everybody's a little nervous, but I beg to differ. We got a full stable of studs waiting to go out there and lead this team. Man, man, Dick, I'd really like to find that stable. <laughs> I bet you would, Dale. Coach Spur, it's such a, such a pleasure to have you with us here on the Cockcast. So, Coach, who do you think is going to be the QB this year? Well, well, I, I, I wish I had some eligibility left, but uh, you know, we 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 got we got some guys, and uh, you know, they're not very good right now, and uh, they they're probably not going to be very good. But uh, you you know, we, we'll 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 make do. Probably oh, we, you know, throw Farrell Cooper back there. You know, he probably he throw the ball to himself, and uh, you know, he just gonna go over there and, and you know score touchdowns. Yeah, we're very excited about Farrell Cooper. He really gets in there deep, and that's what we like to see. What's your craziest story from from your time at South Carolina? <laughs> well, let me I tell you this. You know, me me so me, so me and Stephen Garcia, we used to play this game. Chug three Mike's Hard Lemonades, one right after the other. You know, and then we try to run and pee on each of the, each of the five points in less than a minute. You know, that was a game we used to play. So this one time, you know, I, I, I made to make it all the way to Lucky's. I start start pissing when this when this cop comes up to me, cites me for a, a public public urination. I actually had my visor on for once, and uh, you know, he didn't recognize me. Uh, so I told him told him get this. And told him my name was G. A. Mangus, and I was the quarterbacks coach for the University of South Carolina. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, man, who who believe a name like that? <laughs> So anyways, I get off scot-free. Uh, you know, I'm down to coach now, though, because i got to keep this Mangus guy on payroll. <laughs> that's, that's why our QB's been so bad. Coach, we're we ain't gonna, got nobody to coach him. Coach, I'm going to cut you off right there. I, I, feel like, uh, I feel like we should probably end this right now. Yeah, you uh, know, I'm a, I'm a few deep, maybe a little going off the cuff. Coach, and get a little coach this, this, is, uh, this, this broadcast, I mean, other people will hear it. We probably should just let you let you run on your way and keep doing the game cocking. What's the best conference? I think that bet yourself. Cleaners want to just give us one. ACC. ACC. there any other conference? None other than I know of, you know. All right. You know, I thank guys for having me. You know, it's good good to be here. You know, you know, yeah, yeah. No, we'll see how long I can make it. Okay. Th yeah. Th again, thank you, Coach Clips. Cut this off quick. S A C.